0: I invite you to open up your Bibles to two places. One, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. And the second place is John's first letter. So, 1 John, chapter 3. In John 13, Jesus gives his disciples as they eat together um, for what would be their last supper, the Passover celebration, right before Jesus was crucified. Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment, and this is what he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And then he says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And then in John's letter, the disciple John I'm convinced he's remembering that night as he writes this letter. And in chapter 3, this is what he writes, starting with verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. We are finishing a series of sermons on the, on the way of uh, following Jesus. And we've been looking at what different followers of Jesus has said about that way. We looked at the half-brother of Jesus, James, and what he said about following Jesus. And then we looked at the Apostle Paul. What did he say about the way of following Jesus? And last week, the disciple Peter and what he said. And this week, what does the disciple John say? And uh, we, one thing that I want to do is keep in mind this, this final week that we are uh, remembering as we celebrate Palm Sunday and work towards Easter Sunday. And this um, this little scripture about Jesus giving his disciples a new commandment takes place shortly before Jesus dies on the cross. He's with his, his disciples having this last supper, this Passover meal with him. And as Jesus um, has this meal with his disciples, he actually reinterprets the Passover meal for them in light of his Death on the cross, which will happen just hours away. And this is the reinterpretation. Just as the Passover meal celebrated God freeing his ancient people, the Israelites, from slavery in Egypt, Jesus is saying, Now I want you to remember, I want you to remember how I am freeing you from your sins through my death. I'm just as the ancient Israelites were brought. From death and slavery to to life, as God led them to the promised land, Jesus is saying, "I am I am freeing you from death and bringing you to life, real life." And it's it's in that that reinterpretation of the Lord's Supper of of the Passover um, supper that Jesus says, "Now now that I'm leading you to real life, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love one another. This new commandment." So. Today we're going to talk about this new commandment, and then the context for it, and the model for it, and the power for it. The commandment, and the context for it, this new commandment, and the model, and the power for it. So what is the commandment? Just making sure that we've all been paying attention this morning as we read the scripture and as uh, I've been talking, preaching. Uh, the new commandment is love one another. Um, so let's just think about that for a moment. He's saying that Christians will identify themselves as Christ's disciples when they show love. When you think of who a Christian is, you might be uh, prompted maybe to think about a person with certain beliefs, so, you know, the right beliefs. And I think Jesus is is pointing out that there is a, a deeper, a deeper thing that identifies you as his disciple. That's love. It's not necessarily belief because as we read through the scriptures, we find out that even the demons believe that Jesus is the Christ. Even the, even the demons have that right belief, but they're not living in life. They're living in death. See, we can believe stuff without that stuff actually changing our insides. We can believe stuff without really loving what we believe and finding joy in what we believe. Jesus says, there's one thing that identifies you as my disciples, and it's the way that you love one another. Do people know that you are a Christian because of your love? That's the question this morning. By loving who? Let's talk about the context of this commandment. Jesus says it's it's for your love of one another. Jesus is beginning to build up in this dinner, this meal together, this powerful and loving church. So I'm going to look at verse twelve of what, of uh, the letter First John. John says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Now, it's interesting that, that John brings up Cain and Abel. Why Why do that, John? Why make that move in this, in this letter? Um, I, for several reasons, perhaps, but uh, one is this. Because John knows what it can be like in a family. You can love each other like no place else than a family, and you can hate each other like no place else than in a family. Watch out for hate, John is saying. It will turn you into a murderer. He's talking about the inner condition of the heart. In verse 15, he says, Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has life. Doesn't, he's not, not walking in this path of life. He doesn't have eternal life residing in him. So being a Christian is about passing from, from death to life. And, and not just like after you die, passing from death to life, but now passing from death. To life. And if in your heart you are hating, if in your heart you are judging, if in your heart you are just, you have ill will towards another, then you're not walking in life, you're walking in death. And Jesus came to bring us from death to life, not just after we die, but right now. And the place where loving kindness is shown or where resentment and coldness that is shown can make the most impact is in the family. If your family members are loving you, it's like nothing else. If your family members are hating you, it's like nothing else. So the context of loving one another is, let's talk about in the church family of faith. The context is the church. You see, John says, don't don't be surprised if the world hates you. So Jesus begins this new commandment with the church. It doesn't end there. The, 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 the command to go and love does not end with the church. It ends with those outside the church. But it begins in the church because John says, don't, don't be surprised if the world hates you. And if you can't love one another in the church, what makes you, can, makes you think you can go out and love people when they're hating you? So the context where we really have to watch out to make sure that we are loving one another is the church. Jesus' strategy for winning the world is its kind of amazing, um, and it's, I think, pretty countercultural today. Jesus' strategy is not this simplistic message of, okay, my followers, just get out there and start loving people, like Lone Ranger style, where you just kind of go out on your own and... Now this mission of love, that is not Jesus' strategy. His strategy is this. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something that is much more difficult, actually. I'm gonna send you out as my church. I'm gonna send you out as a unit. And along the way, you're gonna encounter people in the church, your brothers and sisters, that are gonna be different from you. They're gonna look, they're gonna look different. Uh, They're going to dress different than you. That's who's going to make up the church. People much different from you. They're going to like different food than you like. They're going to enjoy different activities. They're going to like to go see different movies than than you enjoy. They're going to vote differently than you. That's who's going to be in the church. In my command, he says, not my request, not my suggestion, not my preference. Jesus says, My command is that you love one another, that you love in the church these people that I'm bringing together that may be much different than you. And then when the world around you sees these very different people loving one another, people from different backgrounds, different classes, different experiences, different histories, different preferences, different styles, loving one another, the world will know, indeed, you are my disciples. Well, that sounds challenging. Uh, to make matters better? To make matters worse? I don't know what it is. Uh, then, then John says, and guess what? You're not going to be doing this in a vacuum. You're not going to be loving one another in a vacuum. You're going to be loving one another in a stressful time. See, when John writes this letter, To Christians, it is is during a time when Christians are being persecuted for their faith. It's when there's different factions in the church that were were growing, claiming these different factions, claiming to be the right ones, the religiously superior ones, creating division. And listen, times of stress can be the most difficult times to love one another. I remember a long time ago, Melissa might not remember this, uh, we went on a canoe outing together. Remember our canoe outing? Um, We had been dating maybe four months or so, long time ago. Uh, We went canoeing out on Lake Conroe. And you would think that for two young adults in their early 20s, um, deeply infatuated with one another, a nice little canoe trip for two, would be one that was just filled with dating bliss. You would think that. Not at all. You would be wrong. I just about broke up with Melissa during that canoe trip, but only after she just about broke up with me during that canoe trip. Uh, I kid you not. We were in the canoe, and she was putting her hands on both sides of the canoe and rocking the canoe back and forth and teasing me like she was going to tump over the canoe, which she almost did. Um, Let's see, it's it's in moments of stress that without great intentionality on our parts, uh, without great intentionality, love starts breaking down and we get angry and we get upset. We get put out with one another. And here's the truth. Stress can try to steal your love. Physical stress. Relational stress, financial stress, schedule stress, too busy, stress about the future, worrying about the future. All of that stress can steal your, try to steal your ability to show love. In your own life right now, think about what is that stress that is trying to steal my love, my ability to show love to one another. See, John says in moments of stress and crisis, John says, I want you to look out for something. I want you to to make sure that you're loving one another. Because what Jesus is doing is he's bringing us from death to life on the insides. And living in love, that's living in life. We see what that change really looks like when we start talking about the model of this commandment. What is the model for this commandment to love one another? I want you to write down two words in your note sheet, if you have that out write, Sincerely and sacrificially. The model for this commandment to love one another is to do it sincerely and sacrificially. So back to John's example of Cain and Abel. Um, this example tells us what is incompatible. We're not there yet on that slide. That'll, that'll, or maybe maybe we just passed it. Yeah, the model. Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's difficult when the, the preacher gets confused with his own sermon and the slides. Write that down, by the way. The model is... Laying down your life with sincerity and with sacrifice. Um, back to John's example of Cain and Abel. That example shows us what love is completely incompatible with. Prolonged anger, for one. Cain's anger wasn't a one-timer with Abel. Cain had built up his anger over time, seeing Abel as the preferred brother over and over, seeing that, this anger building up. And love is incompatible with envy as well. Envy is that, that strong, jealous feeling when, that comes over you when you believe that you are more deserving for the, the good that someone else is, is receiving. You believe, I deserve that good, not that other person, and this causes you to become callous, to that person. And love is completely incompatible with envy. Therefore, love sincerely with your heart. Sincerely want the best for that other person. Even when that person is experiencing something or receiving something that you wish that you had, love sincerely. Listen, it's really easy to be a cane if you want to be. It's really easy to find flaws in people, and to come up with reasons why they are they should not be receiving the good that they are receiving, and to think poorly of them. There's always something. And I want to take you back to the scene with the disciples um, sharing the Passover meal with Jesus. You might think that Jesus gives them this new commandment, love one another, in in a kind of like a kumbaya moment, all having this nice meal together and Everyone's feeling great, and Jesus is saying, no, I want you to go out, and you're feeling great together. Let's just keep this going. Let's love one another. That is not what is happening during this this meal. Do you know that in Luke's Gospel, if we were to open up to Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, we would see that uh, this Passover meal was an opportunity for the disciples to fight with one another? That's what Luke says. That uh, they were fighting, they were arguing with one another. Uh, Jesus tells them, the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. And then Luke writes this, chapter 22, verse 23. So the disciples began to argue among themselves which of them it could be who was going to do this thing. So you can imagine the accusations. You're always letting us down. You're always letting Jesus down. It's got to be you. Oh, yeah, where well, you're the one that we can't trust with anything. It's got to be you. See, they were looking for the worst in one another. Listen, if you want to be a Cain, it's easy to do so. And then it morphed into boasting between the disciples. Verse 24, then a dispute. This is right after after the accusations. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. And that word dispute there means having a love of strife. The disciples were loving to have strife. So do you think that John might have remembered that night as he's writing this, love one another? Because he knows if you want to be a Cain, it's pretty easy to do that. And he's writing, please, please. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, please love one another. So love sincerely and love sacrificially. And John, in his letter, verses 17 and 18, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So love isn't just expressed emotionally or just verbally, but it's expressed concretely through your actions. So this this command to love one another. It's not the enjoyment kind of love. It's not the you know. It's not the hey, you have a really good time with someone. And you're like, I love that person. It's not that enjoyment kind of love that Jesus is commanding us to have for one another. It's sacrificial love. Jesus says, show this radically sacrificial love that is exemplified. And the way that you give up your possessions when you see someone else that is going without, you've got plenty, I want you to give. And if you can't do that, then how can you have the love of God in you? If you can't give to someone that you think is undeserving, how can you have the love of God in you? And when you are with the church, you can know that there will be plenty of opportunities to show this love because people are different and stuff gets broken. You know that last week, a a glass vase was broken out in the foyer. got broke. Here at church, can you believe that? And we know a lot more expensive stuff gets broken than a glass vase. There's lots of opportunities to show this command, to love one another, even in stressful times, even with people who are, much different than you. So, how do you gain the power to love like this? Jesus already gave the disciples the power to do this, and he's, this morning... Given us the power to do this as well, um, do you remember what Jesus did during that Passover meal with his disciples? They ate together, and then, after they ate, Jesus does something he he put, puts a towel he ties a towel around his waist he gets up from the meal and he fills a bowl with water, and he he washes each of the disciples' feet. I mean, this is the Son of God that is going from disciple to disciple and taking, taking their feet in his hands and washing their feet. And when he gets to Peter, Peter won't let Jesus do it. He says, Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me, then, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. I, if you're going to wash me, I want you to wash all of me. And Jesus' point is, that's what I've done. I've washed all of you. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath, like I've already washed you, need only to have their feet washed. Their whole body is clean, and you are Clean. Write down that word clean. You are clean. Jesus says, I must do this. And do you know why, Peter? Because without me washing you, you will never be clean. But with me in your life, no matter how dirty you may think you are, you are clean. This means Jesus makes you clean on the outside and on the inside. He says, Unless I wash you on the inside, you will have no part in me. So Jesus makes you clean from the stain of sin. In other words, you will never stand, if you have Jesus in your life, if he has made you clean, you will never stand guilty before God because of your sins, because they've been washed clean, already pure, without spots, without blemish. Because Jesus has washed you clean. He cleans you from the sins that you know about. Those are the the sins that we sometimes refer to as sins of commission. We commit those sins, and we know we're doing it. Like when you know you've done the wrong thing, when you've just lost your temper, and you're like, oh, God blew it. I said some mean things, just some angry, mean-spirited things, and I blew it. Jesus says, I've washed that clean from you. Or we've stolen something. We cheated. We cheated. We've stolen money. We've looked lustfully at someone. Jesus says, I've washed all of that clean. All those sins that you, that you know about and you're haunted by, Jesus says, they're clean. And He cleans you from the sins that you don't know about. Sometimes we call those the sins of omission. Acts of obedience that we should have done, but we didn't do. Times when we should show that sincere, sacrificial love, but we don't. Opportunities missed because we we're either too afraid to show that sacrificial, that sincere love, or we just we weren't paying attention to the need of someone else. We got too caught up in our own life, too focused on our own schedules. We missed the opportunity to show love, or, or we just plain didn't want to i don 't want to show that love today. Those sins of omission, the ones that we 're not aware that we 're committing, are the reasons why we can't judge one another because we don't realize the depth of our own sin. we don 't understand what's going in our hearts, going on in our hearts that 's why you can't look across the room this morning and, and think a single judgmental thought at your brothers or sisters. God says. They are my family. And you may think that you're being the better sibling right now, but you are not. That's why we can't think of other churches this morning and be thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe what they're doing. The Catholics around the corner, the Baptists down the street, you can't look at them and think, oh my gosh, can you believe what they're thinking or they're doing this morning? You may think that you're the better sibling, but you are not. We are not the better sibling. You've got to love them, Jesus says. You've got to love them. Because they're my family, and that means that they're your family. They're my family. They're, they're our family. And Jesus says, you need to love them. So how do you get the power to love The power is knowing Jesus' love for you. It's knowing that Jesus has washed you clean. Do you want to grow in this love? You think about your sins and think, Jesus, you have laid down your life so that I could be clean from these sins. John writes, chapter 3, verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus has brought us from death to life. And because of that, we can now go on living the sincere and sacrificial love for our brothers and our sisters because we've been brought from death to life. And let me tell you, friends, this can be hard, it can be hard for me, it can be hard for any one of us. I want us to know this morning that it is not it is, Jesus did not intend this to be a burdensome command for us. In fact, the disciple John says in his letter that his commands are not burdensome. He does not intend for it to be. This hard work, loving one another, that pushes us to the breaking point. See, he means for our love for one another to be an overflow of his love in our, in, in our life. So you have to become deeply aware of Jesus' love for you on a very personal level. Do you want to grow in that love? Think about God's love for you. Think about how Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you were the only one, Jesus would have climbed on the cross to die for your sins. You focus on that if you want to grow in your understanding of God's love for you. You focus on how if you had been at that last supper with Jesus, he would have gotten down and he would have taken your feet in his hands. The Son of God would have washed your feet at that dinner as well. You think about what John writes at the beginning of chapter 3. You didn't read this. Look at what John writes. Think about this. If you want to grow in your understanding of God's love for you, he writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. So think about how God said to you, He said, I choose you to be my son. I choose you to be my daughter. That's how much I love you. You think about that. And when you know that you are loved you will have a power to love. Look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. The same letter John writes, he writes, if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Another way of understanding this is if we love one another, God lives in us and his love finishes its race in us. So God's love wasn't meant to end in our life. It finishes its race when we then... Give that love to one another. God's love was meant to go in you and then flow out to someone else. And if you do not feel loved this morning, we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you do not feel loved, ask Jesus, ask Jesus, ask Jesus, will you show me your love? Will you, will you reveal to me how much you love me? You can ask Jesus that. Ask him to reveal to your heart how much he loves you and say, Jesus, I need to know. And I'm not, I'm not going away. I'm going to keep asking you this question until you show me how much you love me. You know, one time Jesus says, He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock on that door, and it will be open for you. And keep knocking, keep knocking, and that door will be open for you. Because whoever asks, receives, whoever seeks, finds, whoever knocks, the door will be open. And then Jesus says this, You... Though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to those who ask you. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And if you're feeling, gosh, Jesus, I, I know mentally, I know in my mind you love me, but I, I don't know it here. This morning, we can ask him. And keep asking and keep asking until He does something in your heart. You can do that. And then when we have His love in our hearts and overflowing that love to one another, We are that that church that Jesus is sending out and saying, now, now, everyone's going to know. Everyone's going to know that you're my disciple, that you belong to me. And then my love will get out. Listen, will you pray with me? And I want you to think, What is Jesus saying to you this morning? As we celebrate this Lord's Supper, as he's saying, it's time to get renewed and be refreshed. You've been working hard. You've been trying to love and it's just, been difficult and now it's time to come and be fed spiritually, have his life growing in us. So what Jesus is asking you today. Or maybe it's, Jesus, I have not really, I've not really come to, to grips with this fact that you climbed on the cross and you died so that every one of my sins could be forgiven. They've all been wiped clean. That's the promise. And you've You've never really embraced that promise. And you can say yes to that promise of Jesus, him dying for all of your sins right now and pass from death to life, as Jesus has put it. Or maybe Jesus will put on your heart someone that you know that you have just need to show love to, someone here in the church family or another brother or sister of Christ somewhere else, that you've been at odds with that person, you've been hang on to to anger, and now it's time to let that go and to forgive and to reconcile. Maybe Jesus will put a name on your your heart today. And then he'll give you this commandment, not this burdensome commandment, but a commandment that is in line with the life that he has given to you. Now I want you to love one another. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have given us the power to love by first loving us, by dying on the cross for our sins, by giving us your spirit, by offering us your presence in us, giving us the power to love. Will you come in now in our hearts? Continue your good work in us. Make us loving, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.